Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. That's really what we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks. We are taking a little one-month sabbatical from the book of Ephesians uh, during the month of July because we were at a very crucial point, I believe, in the book, and I'd like to get everybody back home as much as possible before we continue marching through. And uh, lots going on in July, a lot of travel, a lot of um, things going on. Um, we have mission trips happening in July, just lots of things happening in July. So for the next two weeks, uh, I believe the direction, I know the direction for today, and I believe next week as well. By the way, if you need a Bible, I see those guys patiently waiting. Uh, if you just wave at them, if you need a Bible, um, left it at home or in the car, uh, you could, and, or you're like me and don't necessarily want to use your phone, um, you can have a, a real Bible. Um, Exodus chapter 3 is where we're at. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to, the next two weeks, look at two Old Testament characters that God has used significantly in my life to teach me more about Him and how He works. As a matter of fact, it was interesting because in 6-4 this morning, we shared, a number of people shared different biblical characters who had impacted their life and how God had used them to help, him, to help them understand more about who God is and how He works and how He thinks and it's really amazing to listen to different ones share and a lot of the common threads that, that go through all of them. David Canale came up to me afterward. I've known Dave for a long time now. Dave's 86 years old. I asked him how old he was. I said, you're a man. You won't mind if I ask you that question. Dave said he's 86 years old. And he came up to me and before we started here and he said, uh, the Good Samaritan, that story, um, that man... Uh, how Jesus told that story and the impact of that. He said, he said, I can't remember I was young. I can't remember how young when I first heard that story, but it had such an impact in my life. And if you know Dave Canale, you can see that because I've known Dave for a long time and he has spent much of his life ministering to those who are in a difficult place. And these stories do matter. These truths that God reveals to us and these narratives that we see in scripture make a difference in our life if we allow them to. You're, you're changed, you're transformed. I can tell you today that there are a number of truths in some of these Old Testament characters that completely changed the direction of my life. And when I heard them as a teenager or in my early 20s, it was information, it was truth. There was something in it that inside me rang true. It's like the Holy Spirit said, you need to pay attention to that. But I didn't understand any of it. Over the last 30 years of living it out, now I go back and say, now, Lord, I understand. I understand what you were saying. Moses is one of those people. Exodus chapter 3. Today we're going to talk about encountering God in unexpected places. And when I use that term, encountering God, um, I realize words mean different things to people. But when Lynn talked about in her testimony earlier, that in a a broken place, a place where her heart was broken and she didn't know what to do and she didn't really like the answers that she was receiving from the Lord. But that in that place, there was just a, a trusting and a response to him and a peace that literally 
is beyond human understanding. That's how the scripture describes it. A peace that's beyond human understanding. A joy that situations and people cannot take away. A work within that can only be described as miraculous. If you've ever tasted it, or when you've tasted it, you know, God, this is something different. This is different than anything else. I've been happy before. I've had situations and circumstances and experiences in this life that make you happy. But this is way beyond that. This is something that God does within, and it literally changes you. It changes you. Now, it doesn't mean that you're permanently changed in the sense that you never have problems or you never have struggles, even in this area, because you will. But something fundamentally happens within you that you know that is supernatural. That's not natural, that's supernatural. This is an encounter with God. Now, here's my belief based on these truths that were revealed to me through others 30 years ago and my 30 years of experience walking them out. God wants you and I to encounter him that way every day. Every day. You say, I don't know, Troy, because you've got the wrong image in your mind of an encounter. So I hope this morning we'll clear some of that up. Exodus chapter 3. The story of Moses. You remember Moses? Born under the... He was born under the edict where Pharaoh had said all of these Hebrew babies, boy babies, had to die. His mother, a woman of faith, sends his older sister to take and hide him in a basket in the river, in the River Nile, keep watch over him. He's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. She calls the mother to actually nurse him and care for him, for her. And then he grows up as a young boy, as a teenager, as a young man. He grows up in Pharaoh's household. That's the gist of the story, the background of Moses. But Moses, um, as a young man, he realizes who he is, and there's a call on his life that God spared him for a reason. And he sees the brutality, he sees the hardship of his people, the Hebrew people. They're in slavery in Egypt, and the, the scripture says they had horrible taskmasters. That they were literally tortured and abused and misused. And Moses had a heart for them, and he comes across one day. Now, he's living a very different life because he's in Pharaoh's palace. He's grown up with the very best. His life looks very different than his fellow Hebrews. But he comes across one of his fellow Hebrews being beaten, being abused one day by an Egyptian taskmaster. And so he takes and intervenes trying to do the right thing, trying to stop this punishment, this abuse of his, of his brother, of his kinmen. And he kills the Egyptian. And then he realizes he messed up. So he buries him in the sand, covers him up to try to hide what's taken place. Later on, he sees two Hebrews who are fighting and he tries to intervene and be a mediator, a peacemaker. And one of them says to him, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? He realizes the story's out, the gig is up. People know what he's done. He realizes that his life is now forfeit. I mean, Pharaoh will have him put to death. So he takes off, heads out into the Midian desert. And he's going to spend the next 40 years of his life out there taking care of sheep. That's where we find Moses 
in Exodus chapter 3. Look with me. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Most believe that Horeb and Sinai are the same place, or at least two different points of the same mountain or in the same general location. Some of your translations may actually translate this Sinai instead of Horeb. If you remember, Sinai is the place where Moses is going to come back with the people, and there he's going to receive the Ten Commandments. The law is going to be given there at Sinai. So he's there at Horeb, and it says, The mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst, out of the middle of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So it's on fire. That's probably not a strange thing for somebody in the desert to see something, you know, a, a, some, something on fire could happen. But it was strange to see a bush on fire and not burn up. And Moses said, notice what he said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. Don't miss that, verse 7, that's very important. I have seen them and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and any other ites you want them to throw in there, all right? And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. He says it again in verse 9 there. He said it in 7, he said it in 9. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is the first of five signs that God's going to give to Moses to try to help convince him of God's really in this. He's really working. We're going to stop there. The story goes on through that chapter and continues on into chapter 4. Encounters with God. Encountering God in unexpected places. Let me ask you this. Would you like to have encounters with God in unexpected places? Would you like to do that? If you don't, well, I guess you can take a nap for the next few minutes. All right? Um, but if you do, by the way, I wouldn't encourage it. The greatest thing you'll ever experience in your life are encounters with God. Nothing better in this world than encounters with God. There are two things this morning that you must believe and two things you must do, in my opinion, based on truth that God's revealed to me and just stuff I've walked out in my own life if you want to have encounters with God. First of all, you have to believe this. It's paramount that you believe that God still knows where you are. God still knows where you are. He told Moses, he found Moses in the desert by himself watching a bunch of sheep, and he's been there for 40 years. I don't watch sheep 
It's never, I have taken care of cattle before in my life, a whole different thing, I'm sure. I'm never taken care of sheep, but I can tell you with taking care of cattle, it's not the most exciting job in the world. It's not something you dream about. Oh, I'm a kid. I want to take care of cattle. I want to take care of sheep when I grow up. That's my life ambition. Maybe that was your life ambition. I'm not putting it down. It was not mine. I realized early on in life, I did not want to take cattle, take care of cattle for the rest of my life. It's not very exciting. There's a lot of alone time. There's a lot of monotony, a lot of the same thing over and over again. And usually the best company you're going to get is if the cow happens to look at you and, you know, kind of thing, and that's about all you're going to get. So here's Moses for 40 years. Now, he's been in the palace. He's been trained. Really, he has had the best education in the world at that time. He's had every opportunity you can imagine, and now for 40 years he's been in the middle of nowhere in the desert taking care of sheep. And my guess is that it ran through Moses' mind a time or two, maybe more than a time or two. I'm done. It's over. I'm not even sure God knows where this place is. God knows where you are. He still knows where you are. No matter what's transpired, no matter, no matter how many times you've tried to do the wrong thing but, or tried to do the right thing and, it, and end up doing it the wrong way, Anybody relate to that? Trying to do the right thing and doing it the wrong way? I can. That's the story of most of my life. So Moses is here, and not only does God know where Moses is, in verse 7 and verse 9, we read it just a moment ago, he knows where his people are too. He hasn't forgotten them. They probably thought God's forgotten us too. Forty years we've been laboring here, been crying out. God knows where you are doesn't matter where that is right now he knows where you are you got to believe that you got to believe that it doesn't matter how much time has passed or what has transpired before God still knows where you are and he's not leaving you there for no reason I've shared some of our story uh, mine and Lori's and our family with you from time to time in messages. Um, I probably have shared this. I don't remember where I share certain things, and so if I'm repeating, forgive me. I'm getting older. I think it's a privilege you get when you get older. You can repeat stuff. And, um, and so we came to Florida in protest. Uh, we did not want to come to Florida. Uh, Lori was from St. Louis, and I grew up in Mississippi. We met in Chicago. Um, we really thought, you know, if we got to pick where we wanted to be, we would probably be somewhere in North Carolina, upper part of uh, Georgia, you know, maybe even Atlanta area, just different things. I mean, I'm a Southern boy. I've grown up in the deep South. I understand the culture. If you're from somewhere else, it may seem strange to you, but it makes sense to me. Um, and so this is one of those things that, you know, Lord put a, that this would be where we want to go. And when got a phone call one day from a church in Florida um, and they said we want to fly you guys down and view of a call and think God might be moving here and we came and we did not want to be here and I flew here we came in stayed here in Palm Bay we got out one day because they gave, loaned us a car and we drove around Palm Bay now this was 24 years ago and we drove around 
my wife started crying and she said you're not going to bring me here are you <laughs> well, how are you supposed to answer that my answer was not if I can help it all right wasn't where we wanted to be it did it looked like the desert of Midian to us that's what it looked like I don't want to be here and some of you are thinking that now you should have been here 24 years and some of you've been here 40 50 years I mean this place has changed a lot some good some bad I promise you in your life, if you walk with the Lord, you're going to find yourself at times in places where you're wondering, God, do you even know where I am? Did you lose me? Did you lose track? I mean, you've got to keep track of the whole world, and this is so out of the way. This is such an awful place. He knows where you are. You have to believe that. If you don't believe that, I don't believe you'll ever seek encounters with him if you don't believe he knows where you are. And that he's with you there. He's willing to manifest himself to demonstrate who he is in those places. He knows where you are when you're in that hospital room. I know that for a fact, having been there, wondering why I'm in this hospital room. He knows where you are. He knows where you are when you're a single mom and your family has fallen apart and you don't know why. He knows where you are. He knows where you are when you long for a child. We know that feeling, and God never seems to hear or answer. He knows where you are. He knows where you are when you've lost the thing that you love the most. He knows where you are. And he's not delaying out of some sense of pleasure that he derives at your pain. He doesn't delay because he thinks it's good for you to have pain. As a matter of fact, he's not delaying at all. It just seems like a delay on our part. Lori and I tried through the years multiple times to leave Florida. The Lord got us here because he said, this is where I want you. And we, we were both clear on it. I remember asking Lori, what do you think? She goes, I said, do you think God wants you? She goes, yes. I said, do you want to be here? She goes, no. <laughs> I said, I feel exactly the same way. So we're coming. All right. And we came. <laughs> I am too, Ken. I am too. I'm glad too. I look back now and realize this was the perfect place for what God wanted to do in us. And so God knows what he's doing, but you've got to believe that. You've got to believe it. You don't have encounters if you don't believe it because you're not looking for them because you don't think God's there. I'll tell you what else you got to believe that no matter what has happened in the past it does not disqualify you for what God wants to do in your future whatever's transpired Moses killed a guy then tried to cover it up then ran away doesn't matter what's happened in the past but Moses probably believed it did he believed you know what I have blown it and it's over and done there are no second chances here. Whatever, whatever aspirations I had of being a benefit to my people, that's all gone. It's done. Actually, no, it's just getting started, but God has a whole different way he wants to do it. Something that 
Someone years ago said to me, probably 30 years ago, said to me out of this passage, it has never left me. When Moses thought he was ready, he wasn't. And when he thought he wasn't, he was. See, that's what God teaches you in the desert of Midian. That's what he teaches you in Palm Bay, Florida. That's what he teaches you wherever he has you that you think he doesn't know you're there, but he does. He teaches you that when you think you're ready, you're not, and when you think you're not, you are. Paul said it a different way. He said, in my weakness, he demonstrates his strength. This is how God works. This is who he is. And I don't believe there are any exceptions to it. You say, well, it looks like other people have it different. Maybe, but if you know their story, it's probably not different. And if it appears different for a time, just wait. God's not done yet. Had you looked at me early on in my life, in my early 20s, I looked like I was on top of the world. I thought I was on top of the world. I had the world by the tail. At 25 years of age, um, in the place where I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life and doing all these neat things and traveling the world and ministering and doing all kinds of things, one day I get called in and basically said, you know, there's some disciplinary action being taken against you and you're fired. You're gone. Again, I know what it feels like to be, and then I'm back in Pascagoula, Mississippi, and nobody ever heard of it until Ray Stevens made a song about it, all right? (laughs) Nobody knew where Pascagoula, Mississippi was, except the people who lived there, all 30 or 40,000 of us, all right? I'm back in Pascagoula, and there were no hallelujahs. There was, God, what in the world? Are you doing? And you feel like Moses. I was trying to do the right thing. I just messed up in it. It's all over. It wasn't over. It was just beginning. I just didn't know that. You see, this is what God, this is who God is. This is how He loves to work. This isn't an isolated story. Matter of fact, you see this repeated over and over again. Joseph foretells dreams. He tells people in prison what their dreams mean because they know they have meaning, but they don't know what they are. And for one, he predicts all of this wonderful stuff that's going to happen to them and says, hey, don't forget me when you're back in Pharaoh's. I'm here unjustly. Don't forget me. And what do they promptly do? Forget him. And so two more years go by and he's in this place. and He thinks God doesn't know where I am. David's own father forgot he had an eighth son, all right? He goes, Samuel comes and says, the Lord has told me I'm supposed to anoint someone out of your household. Well, I got these seven sons. No, it's none of them. Oh, yeah, there is another one. There's an eighth one. He's out keeping the sheep. I do have another one. I forgot about him. For those middle children (laughs) who think they get forgotten, Or those who think the babies always have it best. Not in David's case. See, this, this pattern is repeated over and over again. You see it in Scripture. God loves to allow us to go to places we, don't, we wouldn't pick to go. If I'm picking my, my call of duty, my tour of service, if I'm picking where I'm going to serve, this would not be it, Lord. He says, I know. 
but it is what I picked for you. You say, well, Troy, what? I, I kind of believe that it's because I made the wrong choices and I made the wrong decisions and I messed up and so now I'm kind of stuck here. I know I believe that for a long time and I pray that God delivers you from that because it's the wrong way to think. How do I know that? Because everybody messes up. So if that were the truth, none of us would ever end up where God had planned for us to be because we all have messed up. Every single one of us. If the determining factor is you going through life without messing up, without making the wrong choice and doing the wrong thing, then you'll never get there. Because you've already blown it. You blew it years ago. The fact is, now that doesn't mean, that's not a license to go around and try to make bad decisions, all right? That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying, in spite of our best efforts sometimes, we do the wrong thing. We make wrong choices. God's bigger than my choices. He's bigger than my mistakes. His grace is greater. Now, you've got to believe that God knows where you are and that what's happened in the past is not a dictator. It's not a determining factor. By itself, it's not a determining factor of your future. Actually, it can be a determining factor if you allow God to work in it. It can be the very thing that God uses. Do you know what's amazed me? Is the thing that was a real weakness in my life early on in ministry, which was being honest and transparent, is actually why I got fired at 25, for not being honest and transparent. Is something that through over 30 years, God has so worked on, that now most of the time when people come, they don't say, Troy, you're a good preacher, or that was so powerful, or they don't say any of that. What most people say is, I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate your transparency. It's the only thing I got. But the only reason I have it is because God sent me to a place I wouldn't go of my own choosing. And then reminded me that he still knew where I was, and he still had a plan. There's two things you got to do, in my opinion. In my experience, there are two things. you got to know that he knows where you are. you got to believe that. And that what's happened in the past doesn't limit your future. You've got to believe those things. Then there's some things you got to do. Number one is, you've got to stay spiritually curious. You must stay spiritually curious. I don't think there's enough spiritual curiosity, quite honestly, among God's people. Do you realize that in this passage, it says that there was this bush over there that was burning and not consumed, and it was obviously at a distance from Moses. He's passing by. He's probably passed by this way dozens, hundreds of times. He may have known that very bush. He's probably seen, I mean, he knew this desert like the back of his hand. Some would say, because they don't like the miraculous, some say it wasn't really on fire. It was just simply the sun, and it was kind of an illusion, a mirage, if you will, and it looked like it was on fire. Moses had spent 40 years in this desert. He knew the difference between a mirage and a fire. It was on fire, and it was not consumed. Otherwise, he wouldn't have stopped to look. But he did stop. He said, look, that thing's burning, but it's not being consumed i'm gonna turn and go over here and see what's going on he was curious he was teachable he was still a learner and that's our problem most of the time we get to a point where we're not learners anymore we're not teachable we're not curious 
I want to stay curious about this infinite God that I'll never know all. Until I see him face to face, I'll never comprehend all of him. But I want to keep being a learner. I want to keep taking the time to turn aside. I want to take time in my day to be quiet before the Almighty, to be still and know that he is God. If you're not spiritually curious, if you're not willing to take time out of what you had planned to stop and see what God might be doing, you'll miss him. You'll miss him. He'll be there. You know, it's funny. I talk to some people. I say, what's God doing in your life right now? And man, they'll start rattling off. He's doing this and he's doing this. What is exciting? I ask somebody, what's God doing in your life? And it's crickets. I don't know. Well, I guess I'm alive. Well, I guess, are you sure? Are you alive or not alive? I mean, what is God doing in your life? Sometimes we see him. A lot of times we don't see him because we don't take the time to be curious about what he's doing. Now, here's the thing. You're going to have to stop or change course at times over what you had planned in order to encounter him. I promise you, it's going, you have to do that. If you always follow the plan that you laid out, some of you are planners, you've had it laid out for weeks, all right? Nothing wrong with plans, nothing wrong with order and organization. I like all of that. But I promise you, there are times where you're going to have to stop the plan. God's going to interrupt your plan. You've got to be okay with that. If you just keep barging ahead with the plan, you'll miss him. Because he's off over here burning up a bush. He wants, he's trying to get your attention. He's like, whoa, I'm over here. Stop. Pay attention. But see, I didn't know this early on. So I'm trying to do ministry and running by it every day. I'm so bad. I got to go do this because this is on my agenda. And I run right by the people, which is where the ministry is. Yesterday, Rich and I had the opportunity to talk with a young man, sit down here at one of the tables. And um, Rich shared the gospel with him. We loved on him a little bit, tried to help in the situation. After a while, I came back to Rich and said, hey, what happened with that? And did he make a decision? And he said, I think real help scared him off. And because uh, he left, but that's okay. Why? Because there was a divine encounter there to be able to share Jesus with someone and the love of Jesus with someone. But in my early days, I wouldn't have taken time to, because I need to go here, and I've got this appointment. It's Saturday. I usually do this, this, and this on Saturday, and I've got to get ready for tomorrow. I mean, the real ministry happens tomorrow when I'm in front of all of you. No, the real ministry was sitting at that bench. Divine appointments often come outside of your plan and schedule. You've got to be willing to adapt, to adjust. That doesn't mean that you don't have a plan or a schedule. That's chaos. The Lord's not the author of chaos. It just simply means that I've got to be sensitive. There are times when he says, I want you to change your plans. I want you to change your schedule. I want you to come encounter me. Now, here's the other thing with that. This is vitally important. And it's so un-American. It's going to sound wrong when I say it. But it's true. You need to expect the extraordinary in the ordinary. Quit looking for the extraordinary to be epic. Quit looking for it. I have had great encounters with the Lord inside services that were planned. I have. But the greatest encounters I've had with the Lord were not in a service. They were not in a planned meeting. Usually there was nobody but me and the Lord. 
If you're looking for it to always be epic, you'll miss it. As a matter of fact, often what we call epic, what we think is so wonderful and great, God's not even in. He's not even there. But it looks impressive to us. It seems meaningful to us. So we think, surely that's got to be God. Look for the divine in the daily. Look for the extraordinary in the ordinary. Look for the miraculous in the mundane. That's where you'll see him most. That's where you'll see him reveal himself. Most of us don't live exciting, extraordinary lives. Most of, us, most of our lives are very ordinary. It's very much doing the next thing. Doing the next thing. But in the midst of that, God says, I want to demonstrate who I am. I want to show my glory. I want you to see me, and I want other people to see me. Isn't it interesting? You remember the two guys after Jesus was crucified and he rose from the dead, and they're on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus, he joins them as they're walking, but they don't recognize who he is. So apparently they knew him before his crucifixion and resurrection. They knew him. They would recognize him, but they didn't now. So they're walking along, and Jesus is like, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, Where have, you, have you been under a rock on another planet? What's going on? And have you not heard what's been going on in Jerusalem? He goes, what's been going on in Jerusalem? And they tell him about Jesus, all this, and and then Jesus begins to talk to him. And the scripture says that he goes through Moses and the prophets and he explains who Jesus is. He reveals himself in, the, in Moses and the prophets. He's showing them truth. He's teaching them a seminar that they have never seen the likes of before in their life. All right, they're getting truth on overload. I mean, it's incredible, but they still don't recognize Jesus. They're walking all along. They don't recognize Jesus. They get to their home, and they invite him to come in and have a meal with them. They still don't recognize Jesus. They sit down, and the scripture says he breaks the bread, and then all of a sudden they see who he is. And the very ordinary, mundane task of just serving bread, all of a sudden there's this revelation, this is Jesus. You would have thought they'd have seen who he was when he was teaching, when he was revealing this deep, great truth. No, it was in the ordinary it was in the mundane. Paul, he'd spent most of his life in synagogue. He went to church all the time. He was ultra-religious. He said so in his own testimony. Where does he encounter God? On the road, on a roadway, going to Mass, in the middle of nowhere. Where does Moses encounter the Lord? In a desert. Where does Abraham encounter the Lord? In a pagan land. Where does David encounter the Lord? Alone on a hillside with sheep. The ordinary, the mundane. Don't ever again look and say, Pastor, you have ministry and I just have a job. All of us have ministry. All of us know the creator of the universe. All of us are on mission. All of us have the opportunity to have encounters with the Almighty and then to be able to share that with other people. All of us. As a matter of fact, sometimes it has more power coming from you than from me because I'm a hired gun. People don't believe I'm really sincere. I have to do this. That's the way they think. You don't have to. You must believe that God loves to show up in the ordinary and quit looking for the spectacular or thinking, all right, I'm going to get here to this place and then I'm going to encounter God. 
You know where you encounter God? You encounter him in those places where you're waiting to encounter him. Instead of thinking, okay, it's going to happen when I get here or in this service or at this time. No, I'm waiting. That's when it'll take place. No, it happens along the way. It happens in the journey. It happens every day. I started this message by saying that I believe you can have encounters with God every day of your life. That is my experience. Now, they don't all look the same. They don't. I'll be honest with you. They're not all the same. But that's okay because he's doing new things and different things every day. But every single day, what gives me purpose and meaning, and sometimes I get distracted, sometimes I get off track, sometimes I start believing other things, and the Lord brings me back to this place, the only thing that has any meaning, the only thing that really fills is a daily encounter with him. You say, okay, you're, you're going to hit us now. We need to do our Bible study and be better about it. I haven't been doing my devotions real well, so Lord, I'm going to do my devotion. That is not what I am saying. I'm not against devotions. I'm not against reading your Bible. I'm not against any of that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real, genuine encounters with God. You say, Troy, what does that mean? Sitting still for a minute or two, just listening, saying, Lord, what do you want to say to me? Encounters happen there. Having problems and say, Lord, just stop and say, Lord, here's this problem, and I don't know what to do with it. Is there something you want me to do, or is this just a be still time, or what's going on here, Lord? Lord, I'm reading your word, but I don't want to just read it because I'm supposed to. I don't want to just take it like medicine because it's good for me. Lord, I want, to, I want it to come alive. So as I read this Holy Spirit, would you just make this come alive to me? Would you say to me what it is I need to hear? Would you show me what I can't see otherwise? When I'm talking to someone and I'm getting perturbed or just impatient, and I'm thinking, I wish you would go away or leave me alone or let me go away, or I want to go on to something else, and to be able to say, God, would you do something in me that allows me to see them the way you see them? You say, Troy, I don't really want to pray that prayer. I would rather just go away or have them go away. I know. I'm talking about encountering God in the daily, in the mundane, in the ordinary. Because that's part of our daily, ordinary, mundane. Are people sometimes that we'd rather not have to have a conversation with. And quite honestly, I'm looking at and thinking, I don't see God anywhere in you or around you or even in this zip code, all right? But he's there. I promise you he's there. And you'll encounter him if you want to. If you'll turn aside. If you'll change the plan. If you'll ask him, say, Lord, I really want to see you in this. Now, what if you really mean to do that today? You pray and you tell the Lord, Lord, I really mean, I want to live this way. I'm excited about this. I want to live this way. And you go home this afternoon and you blow it. Well, then join the club. Because I blow it too. I mess up. So I go back to the truth that we've already established that my past performance does not dictate my future. Just because I blew it in the past doesn't mean that God won't continue to work in the future. So I come back to him and say, Lord, I blew it. I, I've reverted back to my old ways. I reverted back to what seems natural and good to me. 
So Lord, here I am again. I want to see you. I want to encounter you in unexpected places. I've shared the story. Some of it's tongue-in-cheek. Most of it's true. I'm not making it up. I really dislike Disney. That's true. I'm not making that up at all. I really dislike Disney. I had one of the sweetest encounters of my life. I can remember it to this day. One of the sweetest encounters with the Lord I have ever had was in one of those massive restaurant eating cafeteria sort of things with a million people and a thousand degrees outside. And I just went over in the corner. I don't know where the rest of the clan was. In that moment, I didn't care. You know, I don't know where they are. And I was just sitting there and I was mad and fuming and I hate this place. I don't know how I got talked into being here again. This is not magical. This is torture. All right. And, you know, why anybody considers this fun? I mean, I just was having a pity party in the corner. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit says, why don't you look for me? Because you're not here. You don't come to Disney, Lord. All right. And in that moment, I said, God, are you here? And oh, he met me there. I had an encounter with him. He changed my attitude. He changed my spirit. Now, I still don't like Disney, all right? But I know a truth now. You can encounter God even at Disney. (laughs) Even there, you can encounter him. He can change you on the inside. And he needs to because everybody there is melting down. (laughs) Parents who pay too much and kids who haven't had enough rest. And they're all miserable. But even there, and you say, well, Troy, that's silly. Maybe, but I'm telling you, God loves to show up in the mundane, in the daily, in the ordinary. That's where he likes to show up. And he will. There'll be a burning bush if you'll stop to see it. He'll be there. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Are you in a place right now where you feel like God doesn't see you? You're thinking, this is not the place I would have picked. This is not what I planned. It's not what I expected. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your job. It could be in the place that you live. Please, please believe the truth this morning. Dispel the lie that just changing your location is going to make all this better. Please cast down that lie. Geography isn't the answer. God's the answer. Wherever you encounter Him, the desert of Midian becomes the most beautiful place in the world when you encounter God. Palm Bay has been, become one of the most incredible places on the planet to me because here I have grown. Here I have discovered who God is. There may be relationships you look at and think, I never planned for this relationship to look like this. 
This isn't what I wanted. It's there. That the Lord says, I've got a burning bush for you if you'll just turn aside to see. If you'll ask me to do the supernatural and the natural and the miraculous and the mundane. When I was in Russia a number of years ago, talking to believers there, many of them had spent time in prison for their faith. And a lot of them were not pastors. Some were pastors, obviously, but others were just regular, what we would consider lay people. And say, how'd you end up in prison? Well, I was working, doing whatever they were working, some job. But I did it with all my heart as unto the Lord. And people would ask me, why are you so happy? Why do you work so hard? Communism, the system doesn't promote hard work. So why are you working so hard? Why, why do you have such a joyful spirit? Well, because of Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? And they would tell them. Then they'd get in trouble and go to prison because they were talking about Jesus. They said, you're preaching. Well, no, they asked me. What stood out to me was the fact that in a place where I would have probably been tempted just to complain and think this is awful and horrible, they saw the Lord. They saw Jesus. They saw themselves working as unto him, not unto a communist regime. I've never forgotten that. All these years, I've never forgotten it. Wherever you are right now, would you tell the Lord, Lord, I believe that you haven't forgotten me, that you know exactly where I am, and that it's possible for me to encounter you right here. I don't have to be somewhere else to encounter you. Moms, you're overwhelmed with your kids, small kids at this point. You can encounter God on a daily basis. Dads, working long hours, bosses that are incapable of, of being pleased, you can still encounter God. Older parents whose children, they don't call you nearly as much as they should. In fact, you may not even know where they are. You can still encounter God right where you are. It doesn't mean that God is unaware of what you're going through or even says it doesn't exist. Later on when Moses said, Lord, I can't speak well, God didn't say, oh, yes, you can. He said, I know you don't speak well, but I'll, I'll help you. I made you. I know what you need. So just tell him, Lord, here I am. I want to encounter you every day in the ordinary. Lord Jesus, help us to do this and then to be witnesses, to tell. Not, not some religious jargon, not some pat answer. No, the reality of a God that we know, that we've encountered, that we walk with, that we see 
in ways we've never seen before and experienced in deepest places of our heart. Lord, to communicate that, to be witnesses of that. That's what the early church did. They went and testified to what they'd seen and heard, what they'd experienced with Jesus. The power of God at work in their life. So Lord, help us. Help us be those people. No matter what. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing here today. I pray that there'll be those who will hear your word and the truth will resonate and they will be forever changed because of what you do, what you reveal in their life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me?